Hello, beautiful people. This is Venerable Tequang Tree, and you're listening to Dharma on Demand on Dharma Tree. So I know I've been slightly MIA for a week or so, but um, I've been busy, but I hope to get back on schedule and getting these recordings back on their designated schedule of days. But uh, to start off this new um, episode, we're going to start learning the Noble Eightfold Path, also known in Sanskrit as Arya Ashangika Marga or literally the noble path of eight limbs. And so the Eightfold Path is essentially the foundation of Buddhism and all the practices. Everything stems from the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, and of course other teachings like dependent ordination. Um, But the Eightfold Path is pretty much at the heart of our practice. So it's a pretty big and pretty important topic. And, and subject to know. So for each episode, I'll be going through one of the paths for each episode. So we'll be spending a few weeks here, or a couple months actually, on just a full path and hopefully go into it a little bit deeper and comprehensively. So we'll get started. So the Eightfold Path, if you are unfamiliar with them, um, the Eightfold Path is right view, right intention or thinking, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right efforts or diligence, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And so the Buddha actually combined these um, into three specific categories, so wisdom, morality, and meditation. And so within the wisdom category, prajna, we have right view and right intention. And then in morality, sila, we have right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And for meditation, samadhi, we have right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And so today we'll be focusing and talking about right view, samyak drishti, in Sanskrit. And so right view is essentially the deep understanding of the Four Noble Truths. So right view is first because we need right view to see and understand everything before we think it, before we speak it, and before we do it and live by it. So it's to understand how our reality, our life, and nature, and the world is as as they really are, right? To see things as impermanent and imperfect. So it begins with the intuitive insight that all beings are subject to suffering, and it ends with the complete understanding of the true nature of all things. So right view is also the ability to distinguish wholesome roots um, from unwholesome roots. So in each of us, there are, of course, wholesome and unwholesome roots, or seeds, sometimes we would call it, um, in the dips of our consciousness. So you are a... Um, if you're a, a, a loyal loyal and trustworthy uh, person, it's because the seeds of loyalty and trust are in you. But that doesn't mean that these seeds of betrayal are also not in you either, because they are. So um, if you live in an environment where the seeds of loyalty is watered, then you'll be a loyal person. But if your seeds of betrayal and dishonesty are watered, then you may betray those even 
those that are close to you and that you love and and care for so you'll and we'll feel guilty about it but if the seeds of betrayal and disloyalty that are in us become strong then we may do it anyway so the practice of mindfulness helps us identify all the seeds in our sore consciousness right the alaya vijnana the eighth consciousness and what are the ones that are most wholesome so when a person comes up to us right the very sight of them sometimes will make us uncomfortable but when someone else walks by right we um and we like and we like them right away so something in each of them touches a seed in us so when we become aware of the seeds in our storehouse consciousness and in the alaya vijnana we will not be surprised by our own behavior or the behavior of others in that case. So the seed of Buddhahood, the capacity to wake up and to understand things as they are, is also present in all of us. So when we join our palms together and we bow to each other and we acknowledge the seed of Buddhahood in them, right? We that's why we we when we go to a temple or meet someone who's also a Buddhist or a monk or nun, you know, we typically do like a half bow to them because we're acknowledging the Buddha nature within them and, and they're acknowledging the Buddha nature within us. So we're essentially bowing to future Buddhas. So if we act in a wholesome way, then you'll be happy, right? But if you act in an unwholesome way, then of course we're watering the seeds of unwholesomeness, of craving and anger and violence within ourselves. So right view is to recognize which seeds are wholesome and to encourage those seeds to be watered. At the base of our views are perceptions, right? The Buddha advised us not to be fooled by what we perceive. He told Sabuti, one of his disciples, where there is perception, there is deception. And so the Buddha taught on many occasions that most of our perceptions are erroneous, that they're wrong, and that most of our suffering comes from those wrong perceptions. So we have to ask ourselves over and over again, Am I sure, right? Until we clearly see our wrong perceptions that will prevent us from having right view. So, um, in other words, to perceive always means to perceive something, right? We believe that the object of our perception is outside of the subject, but that's not entirely correct, right? Because when we perceive the moon, for instance, the moon is in us because the moon is the object of our perception. And so when we perceive a rock, the rock is the object of perception. When we perceive the sun, the sun is the object of perception. When we say, I can see my consciousness in the flower, it means that we can see the water, the sunshine, and the earth that are in the flower. But how can we see our consciousness in a flower? The flower is our consciousness. It is the object of our perception right it is our it's our perception so it's it, to perceive is to perceive something perception means the coming into existence of the perceiver and the perceived right so the flower that we are looking at is part of our consciousness the idea that our consciousness is outside of the flower has to be removed and we have to um, get away from that type of thinking because it's impossible to have a subject without an object. So the source of our perception, our way of seeing, lies in our store consciousness, the alaya vijnana. If 10 people, for instance, were to look at a cloud, there's going to be 10 different perceptions of it, whether it's perceived as a dog, as a heart, as a car, 
depends on our mind. It depends on our sadness and our memories and our anger and how our mind, the state of our mind in that moment. So our perceptions carry with them all the errors of subjectivity. So then we perceive and we blame, we condemn or we complain, right? Depending on our perceptions. But our perceptions are made of our afflictions, right? Of craving and anger, ignorance, wrong views and prejudice, um, etc. So whether we are happy or we suffer depends largely on our perceptions. So it's important to look deeply at our perceptions and know their source. So we have, you know, we had this idea of happiness. We believe that the only or that only certain conditions that that um, only certain conditions will make us happy, but it's often our very idea, our, our very idea of happiness that prevents us from being happy in the first place, <laughs> because we have to look deeply into our perceptions in order to become free of them. Then what, um, what has been a perception becomes an insight, a realization of the path, right? This is neither perception nor non-perception. It's a clear vision and seeing things as they are. So our happiness and the happiness of those around us really depends on our degree of right view, touching um, reality deeply and knowing what is going on inside and outside of ourselves is the way to liberate ourselves from suffering. And that's a cause that, that is caused by wrong perceptions. We can't explain an orange, for instance, to someone who has never tasted an orange, right? No matter how well we describe the orange to that person, we can't give someone else the direct experience, right? They have to taste it for themselves because as soon as we say a single word, they are already caught, um, they're already caught in wrong view. So right view can't be described. We can only point in the correct direction and then allow ourselves or others to clearly perceive it for themselves. So for instance, if you come to the temple for a day, right, you have an idea about the temple, but that idea isn't really the temple. You may say, oh, I've been to Fokwe temple, but in fact, you've really only been to your idea of the temple because your idea might be slightly better than that of someone who has never been to the temple, but it's still only an idea, right? It's not the true Fokwe temple. So your concept or your perception of reality is not reality. When you are caught in your perceptions and ideas, you lose reality. So to practice is to actually go beyond ideas so you can arrive at the suchness of things, of things right? No idea quote-unquote, is the path of non-conception. So as long as there is an idea, there is no reality and there's no truth. No idea means no wrong idea, no wrong conception. It's It doesn't mean no mindfulness because of mindfulness, when something is right, we know it's right. And when something is wrong, we know it's wrong. And so when we're sitting in meditation and we see a cake in our mind's eye, right? So we think that um, it is we think that is wrong practice because this image of cake is is showing up right because we're supposed to be mindful of our of our breathing 
But if we practice mindfulness, then we will say, I am breathing in and I am thinking of cake, <laughs> right? That is right mindfulness already because rightness or wrongness is not objective. It's, it's subjective. And so this goes back to, you know, practicing mindfulness correctly in meditation, which is a whole other topic that we'll talk about later on. But um, relatively speaking, there are right views and there are wrong views. But if we look more deeply, we can see that all views are wrong views, right? Because no view can ever be the truth. It's just from one point, right? That's why we call, um, that's why we have this saying, point of view. Because if we go to another point, we will see things differently and realize that our first view was not entirely right, right? Or there was something missing or incorrect or, or invalid. So Buddhism is not a collection of views. It's a practice to help us eliminate wrong views. So the quality of our views can always be improved. So from the point of view of ultimate reality, right view is the absence of all views. So we really have to start cleaning our mirror of, of Buddhahood and, and mindfully wipe away the fog and the moisture and other debris that are on this mirror, right? Our mirror, our, our Buddhahood is essentially this clear mirror, but because of our wrong views and perceptions and our wrong practices and, and, and all that, our view, our, our Buddhahood mirrors very foggy, right? Just imagine coming out of a hot shower and the mirror is completely fogged up, right? And so by practicing the Eightfold Path and um, we we slowly start to clean away that mirror, right? And we use different tools, we use different objects to help us on the path. At first, maybe you use the wet towel to try to clean the mirror, right? And maybe we get away with cleaning up some of the fog, but it leaves behind some residue some little lint and some streaks, right? It's not completely clean yet. So then maybe we switch to a dry towel and does the same thing. It cleans up a little bit more, but it's still kind of streaky, a little bit linty. And then maybe we use our hand, which, you know, gets rid of the lint, but now it's still streaky. So we're using different things to try to clear away that mirror. So likewise, in our practice, we're trying to use all these wholesome, correct practices in order to clean up that mirror. And once that mirror is fully cleaned, then we have right view and right perception. And all we see things clearly as they are, and then we are able to become enlightened. So that's a very quick overview of <laughs> the first noble. I'm sorry, the first eightfold of the eightfold path, right view. Um, of course, we can get way more detailed in, in, into it, but. Essentially, right view is really just trying to eradicate or clear away our ignorance, right? And ignorance in Buddhism literally just means um, not being able to see things clearly or not seeing things as they are. And so right view is essentially trying to help us to, to see that. And it has a hint of non-self in there and impermanence and emptiness, but essentially we are trying to think see things for what they are, how they are, without any of our subjective opinions or ideas or perceptions of things, right? We see things as they are. And so it's a, it's, uh, right views is, is first because it's really is important because the, to get rid of our ignorance and to go beyond our ignorant minds is very important for us to be able to continue in our path. 
And as we practice a little bit more, as we study and as we meditate on this, we are able to slowly kind of chip away that ignorance that we all have um, and, and slowly and surely we'll be able to see things, quote unquote, as they are. And once that kind of aha moment happens, then we get closer and closer to enlightenment and to potentially to Buddhahood. So that is it for right view. Um, again, if if anybody ever has any questions or concerns or emotional outbursts, feel free to comment or to message or email me. And I'll be more than happy to answer any of your questions, especially on my segment, Ask a Monk. Um, that would be a perfect opportunity to answer any additional questions. Or if you have a quick, simple question, feel free to, again, leave a comment or message and I'll try to reply back. But thank you for listening. Smile and be well. Namo Shakyamuni Buddha.